the Advent candle was uh, focusing on hope and I was going through some material for Tuesday night actually and I found a song I'd sort of put together quite a while ago that fitted into the theme which quite surprised me. Probably the thing that for me has been the biggest struggle in the last 10, 20, 30 years is, is allowing God to be God. I don't know if anybody else has that struggle. God doesn't seem to be as quick to act as I want him to act and he doesn't seem to be as stressed as I am about situations and a lot of the time he's saying be still and this is a song about uh, reflecting a bit on that and and Mary and Joseph and we're going to talk a bit about that later but um, about letting him um, set the agenda I guess so let's see if we can make this work You can't stop the rain from falling And you can't tame the sun And you can't stay the wind from blowing You can't keep your life from moving on So lay you down now Now lay you down Lay you down now Now lay you down Let it be Your time, your time will come You can't stop the rain from falling And you can't tame the sun And you can't stay the wind from blowing You can't keep your life from moving on So lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now, now lay you down Let it be your time, your time will come Joseph really needed Mary, wanted her to be his bride. She replied she was great with child, he couldn't understand though he tried and tried. You can't stop the rain from falling, and you can't tame the sun. And you can't stay the wind from blowing, you can't keep your life from moving on. So lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now, now lay you down Let it be Your time, your time will come Mary felt so lame and lonely Wanted friends to call at night No one would believe her story, how could she escape her plight? You can't stop the rain from falling, and you can't tame the sun. You can't stay the wind from blowing, you can't keep your life from moving on. So lay you down now, now lay you down. Lay you down now, now lay you down. Let it be your time, your time will come. You can't stop the wind from blowing, 
You can't tame the sun And you can't stay the wind from blowing You can't keep your life from moving on So lay you down now Now lay you down Lay you down now Now lay you down Let it be Your time, your time will come We long so much to be happy, but we don't have control. We can't demand from one another love, joy, peace to make us whole. Only God can do that, yes, He can. Only God can do that, yes, He can. Cause he can stop the rain from falling, and He can tame the sun. He can stay the wind from blowing And he can keep your life while you're moving on So lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now, now lay you down Let it be His time, his time for you will come His time, his time for you will come Stop the rain from falling And he can tame the sun And he can stay the wind from blowing And he can keep your life while you're moving on So lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now, now lay you down Lay you down now Let it be His time, His time for you will come His time, His time for you will come His time, His time for you will surely come Lord God, we bless you and we thank you that you have so loved this world, your creation, and us, your creatures, that you sent your Son. And we pray this morning as we begin thinking and reflecting about Christmas and Advent that your Spirit will breathe new life into the season for us who are so familiar with it. And we pray that in breathing new life into it, you'll breathe new life into us, that we too would be born of you and we welcome you Lord God will you speak to us as you spoke to Mary as you spoke to Joseph and will you give us ears to hear and hearts that will respond to that end we pray in Jesus name Amen So we're back to Christmas. And the snow is falling. And as I was thinking of uh, Advent, 
I thought of meteors hitting the earth and dinosaurs dying. <laughs> oh, those who don't understand laugh. <laughs> I don't understand either. Scientists in Colorado speculate that the asteroid that hit the earth to cause dinosaurs to be extinct was about six miles wide. And it generated so much heat, it was like putting the earth in an oven and turning the oven on to broil for a couple of years. And so anything that was on the earth would have died or got fried. And stuff in the water and in the burrows or under the earth might have survived. So what? What's that got to do with Advent? Not a lot. But you've got to introduce somehow. (laughs) Except that I think Advent might be the equivalent in the spiritual world of a meteor or asteroid hitting the earth. We are in a culture and a time where our perception of God is so incredibly tame. I mean, God fits into our lives if we have time. And if he moves us emotionally from time to time, then we sort of budge an inch. But basically, our lives are ours, and we live in a world that is ours, and we set an agenda that is ours, and we live a life that is our entitlement. And God kind of is lucky to get something. It's just the way we are. And when God came in angelic form initially to speak to Joseph and Mary, it was like this big giant had woken up and said, "Um, okay, we're going to ramp it up a bit. We're going to go to another level. Heaven and earth truly did collide. And my nightmare, one of my nightmares, is I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to be... I don't know if you're allowed to swear in heaven, but if I can, I will probably, because I'm terrified of getting there and finding, John, this was all that was there for you as a consequence of Advent. And this is about as much as you took of it. You thought it was just a sort of fairy tale almost that away in a manger. And it was the power of God interacting with humanity that was moving to a place that had never been before in human history. And you turn to Isaiah in Isaiah 7 where... Isaiah gives a prophetic word and he's, um, it will take way too long to, to, to go into a whole study of Isaiah 7 in the context of a world at war around him. Kings and rulers fighting each other and a very uncertain future. And when Isaiah spoke this word and he said, uh, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a, man, a son and he will call him Emmanuel. 
Most commentaries and teaching will talk about a double layer of that prophetic meaning, that there was probably a prophetic meaning that applied to his day in some way, and then there's a prophetic meaning that, that ripples out six, seven hundred years later. But even so, Isaiah's prophetic word uh, is astounding. There are many astounding prophetic words in the Old Testament. Somebody said this, In Isaiah's view, the coming of the Messiah will be characterized by many things, one of which will be that there will have been no sovereign in Samaria nor Damascus when the virgin birth child shall be with us. Damascus lost sovereignty to Tiglath-Pileser in 731 B.C., Sovereignty of Damascus was held by foreign powers from then until very recently. Syria first lost home rule to Assyria, then Babylon, followed by Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, then Arabs, then Turks and Crusaders, reciprocated control until the Turkish Empire took over from the 1200s until 1917. Samaria never ceded a king again from 722 BC until the present. The land that you abhor has certainly been forsaken of both her kings. Why do I go to the trouble of reading that out? Basically because it captures for us that these words in the scriptures speak of a God who is God of all. And he's God over all. And he's a God of history. See, another little meteorite hit me when I was 16. I was going to a little Methodist church because there was a big youth group. It was, it was bizarre. It was much smaller, but one of these blocks used to gather on Sunday and half of them were over 60. And they had this youth group on a Friday night where there were about 30 to 40 kids came and, and I went to that. And a Methodist minister by the name of Mr. Atwell uh, used to come and speak every now and again and he was very fastidious. He came from the big church on the hill. And one day, one evening, he spoke about Isaiah and he said, um, this word was written 600 years before Jesus was born. And it just penetrated me and it captivated me and I thought, this word was in existence, written down 200 years before Jesus was born. God must know what he's doing. There must be God. Historically, Isaiah um, is one of the most best, well-documented um, manuscripts in the Old Testament. It was the almost found in completion in the Dead Sea Scrolls, found in caves near Masada, which is near the Dead Sea. And when they unfolded Isaiah and they explored it and they examined it to the, the most recent one they had, which was a thousand years difference, there was hardly any difference in terms of the manuscript. Because in, in antiquity, manuscripts are not regarded as precious if they're old. If it was getting old, they'd write a new one and throw the old one away. But the Isaiah itself was written and completed and part of the Old Testament or the Jewish uh, Bible 200 years before Joseph was woken up one night. The Jewish scholars still argue about whether Isaiah was meaning a young woman or a virgin. But apparently, Dave will know the Hebrew. The Hebrew um, says virgin and uh, means that. So this word that was spoken 600 years before was fulfilled in a funny little town where a girl met an angel 
who said you're going to be pregnant and you're going to be with child. Two teenagers, really. And Mary was found to be with the Holy Spirit. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he sent his Son into the world that whoever believes in him will not perish or die but have everlasting life. Last week we talked about Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the dark and saying, how can this be? Interestingly, Mary said the same thing. How can this be? Quite understandably. And we talked about Nicodemus being a Pharisee and a Pharisee is having so many rules that they were trying to live under living under these incredible layers of rules and God through Jesus kind of saying to him my, my spirit is like the wind it breaks boxes for some of us that's a license to do whatever we like and we just say God can't be restricted that's not what we're saying because we are human we're not God and we need to be restricted but God's spirit is not restricted and when Advent came the meteor, the asteroid of God, smashed the box absolutely, completely. God had been tied up in religious ritual for a long, long, long time. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit planned this right from the beginning. It wasn't kind of a second might be plan, you know, when things didn't work out. He knew how things were going to work out. But for some reason God seemed to believe that freedom was worth it. Freedom to make choices and freedom to interact and freedom to love was worth what it took. And so you can imagine them standing there talking if they do stand and talk and, and, and Jesus says, okay dad, I, I'll become like that so that they can know you. See, I think we get so numb that we just flip this stuff off, don't we? And you go, what did God mean when he was doing this? This is unique, this is remarkable. What was he trying to do that couldn't have been accomplished any other way? Because the question underneath what we're thinking about this morning is did Jesus have to go to the cross? Did he have to become... I can't think of another illustration so the mayors have to forgive me but I can think of nothing... Oh, I can think of a few things but maybe... Um, it's like God saying you've got to become a chihuahua. <laughs> and, you know... You've seen the Mathers Chihuahua. I mean, imagine. You've got to become a Chihuahua. You can't jump out of the Chihuahua skid and say, I'm God. You're going to look like a Chihuahua, sound like a Chihuahua, and act like a Chihuahua, other than that you're going to be a remarkable Chihuahua. <laughs> and people will turn around and say, well, Chihuahuas don't do that. And they will kill you. That's what God was doing. Because he loved you and me. So the question I have to ask is if God so loved the world and he became human and he went to the cross and he rose again 
Was it worth it? When He looks at me, when God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit look at me right now and Jesus goes, was it worth it, Dad? Has John's life changed or been transformed or been different in any remarkable way that would make it worth me and us doing this? You have children and your child this is a sensitive area so I'm, I'm, I'm being sensitive when I say this your child maybe has a critical illness pretty much every parent for some reason that's in them will, will kind of say I would happily give my life for them to live well I wouldn't happily but I would where do you think that comes from? It comes from the heart of God. God's love for you and me to lay down His life. And so He says, Let's, we've had enough of this prison camp. Let's infiltrate this prison camp and start setting my creation free. It was a joke in my family because I was conceived in England and born in South Africa. So I was imported in utero. And there's a sense where Jesus, you know, was imported in utero. Uh, he entered into the human condition through a woman, through a teenage girl who said yes. Let's talk about them for a few minutes. Joseph and Mary. How much do you think Joseph understood of what was going on? He was merrily going along, probably just done his apprenticeship, he's a carpenter, maybe 17. I don't know if they dated, they probably had the arranged marriage, Mary, uh, ready to get married. And you know the story, she comes up to him one day and says, Joe, I've got something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And it's God. And all of us would believe that, wouldn't we? Oh, really? Good. Cool, Mary. No, he, he, was, he was absolutely mortified. He wanted to divorce her quietly. Because the penalty was death. But Joseph had enough integrity with himself to, to want to protect her. says something to me about how God calls us to do the right things even when we don't understand. In the Jesus ministry we were talking this week about hearing God's voice. We came to the alarming revelation that many of us don't even know how to hear him. And we don't even know how to tell others about him. We, we, feel, we feel awkward. And I'm not saying this critically. I think it's an issue we need to equip ourselves to do. But how is God going to speak to us if we don't know how to hear Him? What does He want to say? Because He's got stuff to say. 
And Joseph was faced with this dilemma of what do I do? And then God met him through an angel and spoke to him in a dream and said, this is of me. You see, God used dreams in this case because it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. It's not logical. It's pretty much not predictable. As Graham Cook says, God can't do it until he does it. I wonder what God wants to do among us. But he can't get beyond us. I wonder what he and Jesus and the Holy Spirit just would love to do with us. But he doesn't make sense. And if he doesn't make sense, we don't allow it. So we have him in a box. And the first way to get rid of boxes is to recognize the propensity to have boxes. And then to invite him to expand the boxes we create. Very sincerely, very genuinely. But I think we need a sense of humor to recognize why we do it. Because we're usually more secure with the predictable. And Advent is about a God who's not predictable. In some ways. He's predictable in others. He gave warnings. He gave prophecies. But those get forgotten, don't they? They get lost in time or they get lost in the scriptures and we don't read the scriptures. So we don't even know what they are. It's another sideline, but we all need to be reading this book every day so that God can actually speak to us. We are a people who have more resources available than any other in history in terms of information and the potential to receive information. And yet I would venture to say in North America we're most ignorant when it comes to spiritual truth. Because we're lazy. Or we've got too much other stuff to do. And what about Mary? I mean, Mary's getting ready for a wedding and God turns up and says hi Mary um, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you you're going to have a child it's going to name Emmanuel God with us see what speaks to me is how insensitive God is and how inconsiderate how rude who does he think he is? Because some of us believe that God never works unless it's convenient. And he wouldn't want us to make sacrifices and he certainly wouldn't want to shake up my agenda. Think of it. When did you last plan something and take a left turn because God interrupted? Or does he never interrupt? And if he never interrupts, I would give you a 95% assurance that it's because we're not hearing. Not because he's not speaking. 
But they're none so deaf as those who will not hear. They're none so deaf as those who will not be interrupted because I have my agenda. And what scares me when I get to heaven is, John, you know, I was trying to interrupt you here and here and here and here and this is what would have happened. And I'm going to go, oh God. Man, that's sad. That would have been so much fun. And that would have been cool. And I'd asked you for that and you were ready to give it and I didn't hear it. That's what that song was about. Lay you down now, lay you down. I remember it. I was struggling so much and it was like God saying, lay it down. Because I tried to fight with him for years. All legitimate stuff. But he doesn't seem to be impressed with tantrums and pouting and sulking and rebellion. He just goes, well, when you're really tired, come back and talk and we'll start again at the same place we left off. And some of us aren't making any progress in our spiritual lives because... We're not bowing to God. We're not submitting to Him as Lord. We're just tagging Him on the front door of our lives like an old Christmas wreath and He fits into our plans. So nothing really happens. It's not really powerful. It's not fun. It's just kind of stuff we do. And this is not to beat us up. It's merely to go, hmm, maybe uh, Lord, I need to ask you to liven me up a bit. See, what today's real reading is about is about men. God meeting with men. You see, Joseph was a man. And God met with him. He said, this is what I'm doing. Men are stubborn. Or proud. Little children, they're terrified said God gave men so many sperm because nobody will stop and ask for direction. You can think about that if you want. Maybe it's not worth thinking about. But the huge need in the Christian world and churches for men who will start hearing Jesus and will stop riding on the coattails of women who listen better and will stand up and actually have the courage to say, Lord, what is it you want with my life? For me, the hardest thing of following the Lord is submitting to Him and letting Him set the agenda. I don't think when you are open to God you will never have times when you're absolutely torn apart about the choices that are in front of you the choice between following yourself and following Him and I don't think you will ever be allowed by God to do it in the privacy of your own life so that nobody will know what you're doing and there will be no opportunity for mistakes or vulnerability. I don't think it will happen. You can tell 
a spirit that is open and wanting to submit to God and you can tell one that isn't. It, 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 it radiates out of us. Much, we'd be embarrassed if we could see what others see. You can tell a humble heart, you can tell a submissive heart, you can tell a heart that is open to hear the Lord. You can tell all of that. You know you can. We can see it. You can hear it. You can watch it. If you objectified it, you just say, look at the calendar and look at the bank balance and that's the, that's the first easy way to tell. Love God, sing songs, that's easy. But Advent is about a God who broke into history and came across two teenagers and said, I want to use you in an extraordinary way. And they had absolutely no idea what it entailed. God didn't sit down with Joseph and say, Joe, look, I've got an idea. I'm going to give you, let, let me tell you what's going to happen and then we'll see if you agree. He said, trust me, this is what I have in mind. And he gave him enough to say yes and Joseph said yes. The same he said with Mary. And he didn't tell them the pain they would go through. He didn't tell them that, you, Mary, you're going to watch your son crucified. That was 30 years later. She'd be prepared for that so that when, when he got her there, she'd be ready for that as much as a mother can be ready for that. It's called faith. It's called stepping out of the boat. And the most powerful thing is we, for me, as I reflect on this today and the incarnation, that God comes in human form and like a meteor breaks open a whole new way of him relating to humanity. God becoming personal. It's like the first pebble dropped into a pond and just ripples out and he invites us to be part of that because what does he really say? He says, so you went there when Mary was around and you went there when Joseph was around. But I didn't go into the church because I couldn't get in and I didn't go to the religious leaders because they would theologically argue me out of even being present. So I came to two peasants, a boy and a girl, and I worked with them. And one of the biggest consequences of Advent is a God who says, I love all my creatures and I can use anyone who's available. And therefore, this Advent, I believe God's promise and invitation to us is, do you want me to speak to you? Do you want your life to be as meaningful as Mary's or Joseph's? Do you want me to be born in you in a way that you've never understood before because the initiative is from me, not from you? Will you be a vessel that will allow the power of the living God and the love of the living God to be so released in you that others will be transformed? God says yes to that. Because he said right from the moment of Jesus' conception in Mary, he said, I want to work through all humanity to release the kingdom of God into this world and reclaim it for myself. But you need to know that it demands the cross, it demands inconvenience, and it demands my agenda, not yours. And it demands getting used to being interrupted. It really demands me being Lord. So, Advent can be away in a manger, or it can be, Lord, how can this be? But here I am. 
please work in me so that I don't stand before you one day and go, oh Lord, I wish I'd said yes then. But I promise you one thing. I really promise you with all my heart. Firstly, God will bring us all into a much deeper sense of fulfillment in life if we say yes. But I promise you without any question whatsoever, it will inconvenience you. But that's the life of God and the love of God. Breaking open the box that is my life constructed by me with my perceptions of me. And God only knows the sooner he smashes that the better. Because it's so small and so inadequate and so paranoid and so nothing in comparison to what he sees and what he desires. It's not spiritual up in the air. It's pragmatic stuff on the ground. And it's a wonderful invitation because it's never too late, it's never too early for us to say, Lord, let's play a game. Pretend I'm Joseph or pretend I'm Mary. Here I am. Whatever you want to do with the rest of my life, I give you permission. And and I'm going to talk to others about it and I'm going to submit to others and together we're going to make a huge difference. Some of us God's not going to use until he gets hold of our characters and we keep on saying to him, you're I'll serve you and he says, I can't use you. Because you're waiting for the big thing and you're not doing the little things and the little things are how I'm going to mold you so that you're ready for the big things. That's why you go back to that song which is Lay it down now, lay it down, let it be. His time for you will come. And I speak with compassion, with empathy, with pain, with all kinds of things because that's been my struggle and journey over these last ten years. And I'm darn sure if I were talking to him, he would probably have told me, you didn't have been wondering that long. Let's close by reading Psalm 146 as a prayer. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We don't need that, thank you. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Father, show us our plans and where they come from and what they're about that we might not have plans that come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. We pray, Father, as we mentioned earlier, for for hope and a trust in you that you will be faithful even when we don't see it. We hear your word from Isaiah that took 600 years to be born. Forgive us, Lord, where we want instant gratification, instant answers, instant results. 
We pray that our lives, like Joseph, would be, we, we would do the best we can with what we have in obedience to you and leave you to work out the value or the time. The Lord upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free and the Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down and the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Give us eyes and ears, Lord, to those in need. And may we not be too proud to be those in need ourselves from time to time. Where we're blind, where we're deaf, where we're dumb, where we're prisoners, where we're confused, where we're bowed down, may we reach out to you and to one another and say, Lord, will you lift me up? Will you, by the power of the risen Lord Jesus, touch me in my spirit and do in me that which I cannot do myself? that I might have a testimony of your life and love that I don't have right now because I keep controlling you and I'm satisfied with so little. We pray for those, Father, who still don't know you, who are still out in this valley, who have never heard of you, who have never seen you in any credible way. And we pray this Advent that you will shatter the boxes that we have uh, housed you in that others might smell the nectar of Jesus through the love of servanthood and compassion and the power of the Spirit that dares to pray for the sick to be healed. Lord, you have so much power, you have so much compassion, you have so much life to give the world through us. But we're so stifled and we're so scared. And we're so full of unbelief and insecurity. We just bring all that to you. And thank you that you can give to us a living faith just as you could give to Mary a child to grow in her womb. Thank you that you can give to us the faith to believe the most crazy notions as you could give to Joseph who believed such a politically incorrect scenario that he was faced with. Oh Lord, we pray that this Advent you would open up our eyes and ears and hearts to you in a new way. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. We bless you, Father, for your word. We bless you that you are the Lord of all creation. And just in this moment of silence we bring to, to you those who, who you raise to our hearts that don't know you or need healing or need to be reminded again of your love. Thank you that you're a God who takes the initiative. May we be a people who respond to your initiative quickly. May we cooperate with your word, with your spirit. All glory be to you, O God most high. Amen.
to sing a song? Sing a song, Joy to the World. <laughs> 